You always think there's gonna be a homecoming. The embrace of a woman. It tells you you've done all right. Well, there is no homecoming. Not for me. Not anymore. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding TV, a podcast about television. I am David Chen. I'm Roxana Haddadi. Welcome to the podcast. On today's episode of Decoding TV, we're going to be covering The White Lotus, Season 5, Episode 6. Season 2, Episode 6. Sorry, I'm getting this confused with The Crown. It's all right. Season 2, Episode 6, Abductions, is the name of the episode. Uh, you can find more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com and find us on Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, and Instagram at decodingtv. Uh, and if you want to support this podcast, if you're like, hey, I enjoy that show, I want that podcast to keep going with interesting, fascinating, smart, intelligent, insightful co-hosts throughout the year, become a paid member at decodingtv.com, why don't you? And uh, get ad-free episodes, early access to episodes, and exclusive bonuses. Before we get to our conversation about Season 2, Episode 6, Roxana, um, you know, I look at the numbers for this podcast mm-hmm. every week. Mm-hmm. Uh, I check the stats. I see, you know, who's, you know, cause we're covering different shows and decoding TV. We're covering, uh, until recently we've been covering Andor. we've been covering the crown. We're covering white Lotus. And, you know, the numbers are all like roughly the same, like mm-hmm. downloads, you know, there's some, some shows are more popular than others. Some episodes more popular than others, but like roughly they all get about the same number of downloads. Okay. So it can be really difficult to know whether anyone's listening. Sure. Whether there's anyone out there enjoying the podcast, having a good time, hearing our insights and banter. It's just you, you, you throw something out into the universe. And it's like, if you don't get any emails back, it's like, oh, at decodingtvgmail.com, maybe uh, like no one listens or maybe only like my family and friends listen. If right. That. right. And that's it, you know? That's what it's like to be a podcaster. Yeah. That's what you what you sign up for, you know? Mm-hmm. Who's listening to the podcast? Well, here's a way to find out. Mm-hmm. Is if you make an oversight or if you you fail to fail to mention something or make a mistake. Sure. Uh that's a really good way to find out yeah. if people are listening to you because if you have made an oversight uh, mm-hmm. or or forget to mention something and Let's say literally over 150 people email you. Yeah. Then it does seem to indicate, hey, people are listening and they care and they care. People care a lot about Daphne's potential child with her trainer, like so much. (laughs) We got literally over 150 emails. I counted over 150 emails this week Mm -hmm. at decodingtv at gmail.com from people being like, I can't believe you missed uh, the fact that when Daphne handed her phone to Harper last week and said, you know, here's my trainer, blonde mm-hmm. hair, blue eyes. He's really good looking. And it was in fact, a photo of Daphne's children mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. Daphne was trying to tell Harper that uh, her children were with the trainer, right? That is what 
at least uh, one child, I guess, maybe one of the yeah, children. Yeah, at least one of the children. Child. The blonde child. Yes. Yeah. Right? And people further said that, hey, the fact that you then see Cam in like the next scene and he's clearly has brown hair and, you know, brown eyes. Obviously the show and Daphne saying Daphne had a kid with the trainer. Now, I do want to say, you know, I, I have a bunch of feelings about the vehemence with which people wrote this in. Well, okay. here's what I will say, which is, as we discussed, the screener episode did not have a picture. And from my own personal life experience, uh, I'm Iranian-American. Both my parents are Iranian-American. When my brother was born, he was blonde, very blonde, so blonde that in the 80s, people thought that my parents had kidnapped him and would go up to them in public places like with like security like at the mall to be like is this your child oh shit so yeah so i'm very uh i I guess when i saw a blonde child i just thought like okay yeah okay (laughs) i I mean i I mean i have a few thoughts right like there's a several reasons Uh, like number one i think it is very reasonable for people to who listen to a white lotus recap podcast to not be happy when the uh, hosts, yeah. when the hosts of that show miss something that they think is glaringly obvious, like that, sure. that makes sense because you're like you listen to the. In my opinion, you listen to a recap podcast for insight and for stuff mm-hmm. that you wouldn't have picked up on your own. And so if they, mm-hmm. if the hosts fail to do that, uh, I understand why people are upset. People literally writing in saying they were screaming at their screaming at their phones out loud when we didn't include this. Now I will mm-hmm. say in my defense, uh, there, there's a couple of reasons why this happened, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, the most obvious ones are Roxana said last week that she got a screener that did not have the image in the in the uh, uh, during the episode. Right? Mm-hmm. So obviously she wouldn't have known what was going on there. I just thought it was going to be the trainer. Little and, did and, I know. And yeah. and Roxana is the person who is basically my safety net who prevents me from making humiliating mistakes. Oh, so, so I okay, so I made the humiliating. Oh, oh yeah. So when okay. Roxana can't prevent me from. Uh, making a mistake like that's when things really go off the rails um mm-hmm. uh the second thing is i have a very poor grasp of mendelian genetics <laughs> and you know it's something i've been working on you know mm-hmm. um i'm open about it mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> but seriously though i mean here here is my bar for a theory like this and i think it is a theory i, I think it's very likely correct you know um but obviously daphne does not confirm it or anything like that right um nor do we know from the show uh i think it's very likely correct but my bar when people bring up a theory like this is uh does it make the show more richer more rich and interesting Mm -hmm. and in my opinion it does you know oh yeah yeah it does in this case uh in, in particular if you think about how daphne was talking about uh almost losing one of her children earlier on right. in the season right the idea is that yes cam is a cad and cheats on her um but the fact that she had this child with this other person and is and cam and her are raising them you know these kids together is like the hugest of power moves uh from death interesting yeah. yeah and uh and so the, and it, it provides that that scene from earlier on the uh, the season a much much more depth and, and richness in my opinion mm-hmm. it also makes daphne out to be much more conniving dark and manipulative than um that we might have otherwise guessed so i do think it makes the episode more or the season 
more rich. That said, that said, it's also possible that it's not her, you know, it's not her child with the trainer. Like it's not, I don't think it's a hundred percent certain. We did get one lone email from someone named Rhett who wrote in, Quote, I've seen a ton of White Lotus theories that feel like wild stretches. For one, some users think Daphne mentioned her blonde trainer and then showed a picture of her kids because he is the father of one of her children. Why? Because one of her kids has blonde hair compared to the darker features of the other one, which most clo- which more closely resemble Cam. But what they fail to think about is Daphne also has blonde hair. Yeah, Daphne is blonde. <laughs> no way such a reveal could be done in that subtle of a way. End quote. I think... Um, I personally think either Reed is good character development for Daphne. I think most people are probably intuiting correctly that Daphne is, as you said, a little bit more conniving, more clever, more mind gamesy than we probably initially thought. Certainly more so than Harper initially thought. So I think the read of, hey, maybe this is the trainer's kid is totally valid. I could also just see Harper mentioning the trainer, excuse me, Daphne mentioning the trainer thing, as some other people said in email, uh, to encourage Harper to like do her own thing to find her own happiness. So I think either Reed uh, adds more to Daphne, but yeah, probably probably should have seen what the photo was. I just assumed it was going to be like a hot trainer and I was like, okay, well, well there, there we yeah. go. I mean, I mean, Aubrey Plaza's character did say like, hey, this is just a photo of your kids. Yeah. I mean, it, it is a it is a kind of weird way to introduce it, but yes, that that I do think that the theory is likely correct and and this does make um Cam and Daphne's relationship more interesting and textured and disturbing, mm-hmm. I would argue, um than otherwise. But but uh, as as you said, as you yourself said, Roxana, just because they're blonde and blue eyed doesn't mean that, yeah. like you know, and 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 Megan Fahey's performance as Daphne is ambiguous enough that I think it could be read either way. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's an interesting scene, and and uh, clearly people have lots of strong opinions on it. But it shows that you're listening to the podcast and you give a shit about yeah. the podcast, and I really appreciate that. So thank you to everyone who wrote in. At yes. decoding t- uh, decodingtv at gmail.com. Speaking of people who wrote into decodingtv at gmail.com, I think we put the question out last episode, is David Chen sex positive or sex negative? Asked for- with 100% sincerity. <laughs> there was no sarcasm to the question at all. We really wanted to know, should we ostracize Dave forever? <laughs> for uh, And I think what was at stake was like, I thought that Dom should be telling Albi that he had had sex with Lucia. Yes. Uh, and you were like, uh, you, Roxana, if I recall correctly, were like, I don't think there's necessarily an obligation there. Yeah. Uh, we got lots of emails about this, and I would say the majority of them sided with me. Yeah, I think there was like a 70-30 split. Yeah, I think, that's I think a right. lot of people sided with you on the argument of she is a sex worker, and so he should have told her from that front. There was also the angle that if Dom is really trying to be more honest, with his son, then that should have happened. And he should have sort of like accepted the consequences of that. And then there was also just the third, the, a general sort of like ick factor reaction, right? Where people were like, if uh, if I knew of a relative, uh, a child, a father, a cousin, a sibling, whatever, who was sleeping with one person and then 
there was someone else in the same family who was going to do that, that information should be shared. So yeah, I would say that there was a heavily, uh, we can continue to let Dave operate in our society viewpoint, <laughs> which is great. Wow. But that's there a, that's were such also a generous some people, interpretation. Yeah, there were also some people who sided with me. So thank you so much, people. <laughs> it's the people who are wrong, I think, is really where we come down on. So mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, thank you for people defending me on that front. Really appreciate that. Finally, uh, I wanted to just mention that several people via email predicted the twist that was revealed in this week's episode of the podcast, which is that the cowboy that Quentin talked about meeting in last episode was Greg. Now, mm-hmm. I thought this is actually a ridiculous fan theory. Like I was like, yeah. there's no way because they're so Quentin and Greg feel like such different people. The idea that they mm-hmm. would meet in Wyoming in like a similar plot to Bro- Brokeback Mountain feels like a little bit too out there. But here's an email from uh Latanya who writes into decoding tv at gmail.com uh what if Greg is Quentin's Wyoming heterosexual lover? Uh, work with me here. I think Greg was speaking to Quentin on the phone on the balcony before he left. We know that Tanya and Greg had signed a prenup that was made very clear during their argument. The only way for Greg to get Tanya's money is her death. What if Greg and Quentin are working together to get Tanya's money? Greg left Tanya to prepare for the murder and he's hiding out at the villa. I also think that is why he really wanted her to get rid of Portia. There was a very sinister discussion between Tanya and Quentin about beauty. Quentin says he would die for beauty. Then he asks Tanya, wouldn't you? He has this villa he cannot afford. He's got this entire posse of gays who are probably part of the plot. And I doubt Jack is Quentin's nephew. Jack is playing his part to distract Portia so their murder plot can move forward without any interruptions from her, end quote. Uh, A lot this, of that turned out to be true. This, Yeah, I mean, it's probably going to be true. Like, we don't know exactly what the end mm-hmm. game is, but it seems very likely at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I should point out, Latanya wrote that email before... Th- this week's episode of the show. So we had a she, few people who wrote in and thought that. And I I really was just like, is Quentin reciting the plot of Brokeback Mountain <laughs> because he knows Tanya won't get it? <laughs> but right. we can we can sort of talk about our reactions to that twist. But yes, I'm very impressed by the people who figured that out. Basically, our listeners are very impressive, I think yes. is kind of the the big takeaway from this. If you're a listener, you're writing into us at decodingtv at gmail.com or um or a commenter at DecodingTV.com, a paid member, uh, then you're pretty impressive. And thank you for listening. We appreciate it. Okay. Really glad to get that off my chest. <laughs> All of it? Every <laughs> single aspect of it? The 150 emails? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sex positivity? I, I just think it's... Wyoming. Uh, you know, I, I'm extremely grateful we have such an engaged audience, but it yes. is just like... It's just a lot to receive, like dozens and dozens of emails of people saying, I was literally screaming at my phone listening to your podcast mm-hmm. because of your ignorance. Uh, well, you know, it, getting one or three of those emails is like, okay, yeah, whatever. But like getting like literally over 100 is like mm-hmm. just, just a lot to, mm-hmm. uh, to go through. And hopefully people will listen to this segment and feel that they don't need to send in an email about that specific topic anymore. Unless- but feel free to keep. Unless we have something in the finale episode that mm-hmm. is Daphne further addressing the parentage of her mm-hmm. children. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, let's get into it. Let's do it. Season two, episode six, abductions. Ethan and Harper. Let's start with them as usual. Mm-hmm. Ethan's awake in his chair. Harper's sleeping on the bed. And Ethan is not happy. because no. uh Harper is acting... Uh, as Ethan describes, like she doesn't believe him. She thinks that right. he still cheated on her, and 
Then they have what I think is a very heartbreaking, mature, reasonable conversation about their lack of attraction for each other. Um, yeah. And, she, you know, she has this great line about how uh, we're too young to be this old. End mm-hmm. quote, right. Like, like there is no electricity in their relationship anymore. And she's acknowledging that. And he is still kind of like clinging on to this relationship, uh, but he doesn't really dispute anything she says, as far as I can tell. Um, what did you think of this this conversation between the two of them? Yeah, I mean, I think they're having two different conversations. Mm-hmm. Like I, and I can see both sides. I can see Harper's perspective, where it's like we can't seem to sync our schedules, we can't seem to find physical time to spend together. Um, which perhaps addresses something you and I have talked about before, which is like, why aren't they doing anything on their own, right? Like, why is neither of them uh, saying like, hey, let's just do something without Cam and Daphne, maybe because there isn't anything that is a shared interest anymore. So I totally see Harper's perspective. But then from Ethan's, I do, I did feel bad when he was like, I'm telling you the truth and you don't trust me and that's hurting my feelings. There was something very sort of, naive about that reaction but it did make me think like oh oh, ethan if only you had told her the truth from the beginning yeah instead of abiding by bro code yeah if only you had ignored bro code you know yeah we wouldn't be in this mess um yeah but so yeah i think it's a they love each other but are probably not in love with each other anymore Mm -hmm. yeah situation but it just gets messier as the day progresses well, that's that's what's so weird to me. I mean, I guess we, you know, we usually start by talking about overall thoughts on the episode, Roxanne. Mm-hmm. So sorry, I skipped ahead. Like, no, no, no. We're what doing were your it. overall thoughts on this one? Because uh, I, I think you're mixed on this one, right? I yeah, I'm mixed. I mean, again, I I have been increasingly coming around, sort of on the uh, like dual couple storylines. Because some of it is like a little bit predictable. Like I think we knew from the beginning that probably something was going to happen between Harper and Cam or somebody was going to believe something happened between Harper and Cam. We don't exactly know. So some of that is predictable. But some of the dialogue here, like you said, I found very smartly written and compellingly acted. But then some of the other stuff, I I don't really love the Greg Quinton connection. I think it feels a little bit too neat for the story uh and lucia and mia continue to be a question mark for me so an episode of up and downs some stuff i really really liked and some stuff that i'm just curious how this wraps next episode i i continue to enjoy the show because i do feel like it does a great job of capturing character dynamics for the Mm -hmm. most part these all feel like real people in the real world that could Mm -hmm. exist that you know some of whom i've actually met before Mm-hmm. Um, and as you said, some of the dialogue is great. Some of the acting is great. The Ethan stuff is a little weird to me this episode because mm-hmm. this opening sequence was like really awesome. I thought this was like, oh, this is how like a relationship falls apart. But yeah. then the rest of this episode is about his like jealousy and right. and it's just like, where did this come from? I guess I guess we're just leaning on the idea that like any guy would be jealous and and it does seed in that like cam is kind of alpha male and has probably stirred the pot with ethan before when it comes to like romantic interests but Mm -hmm. but we haven't really seen ethan act like this the rest of the season you know Mm -hmm. uh like super possessive like this Mm -hmm. um 
So that to me is just it's just a little odd to me, Ethan, that the fact that most of this episode concentrates on Ethan's jealousy. Um, you- when in when in fact like this part about like this relationship slowly unraveling is the most interesting part. It's like rather than you know, this plot of like, oh, it did did Harper and Cam do something together? Like that's kind of it creates this mystery of like did mm-hmm. they do something together? Like that's what the audience is focused on. The thing I'm focused on is like put that aside. Like what is going to happen to their relationship regardless of that? Right. You know, that is right. more interesting to me than like this mystery box of the Cam and, and Harper stuff. So anyway, we're going to ask. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, I definitely agree with you that I feel like this was sort of a, a little bit of a gender essentialist read. Yeah. Which yeah. we have avoided for Ethan so far. I guess my question is, did you think that he reached his breaking point and what we're seeing now is post that or did you feel like that character turn was not well established enough it's like to believe that ethan would behave the way he does in this episode Mm -hmm. you'd have to think that he was extremely protective of his relationship with harper and or um is like possessive and or is insecure like one or more of those three things, I would mm-hmm. say. And I just don't know that the show has done a great job of establishing those things. Yeah, because other, seen... other than that, he's like a dude, you know, what I mean? and like right. any dude would be jealous if a other dude was sleeping with his wife, you know, and I'm like, okay, like I thought the show was smarter than that, though, like, you know, but and that's sort of where where it like falls down a little bit for me. I think we have seen, you know, I, I don't remember if it was the last episode or the one before where Harper was talking about, yes, she'd had a threesome. There were elements of her yeah. like past sexual history that I don't think Ethan knew. And I think we saw his surprise at those revelations a little bit. And I think the show has tried to establish that both couples have been lying to each other this whole time. And we're watching uh like how the opposite partner reacts to those mm-hmm. lies, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I agree with you that Ethan, having been a little bit in the background while Harper was the dominant force in their relationship, the intensity of his reaction, I did buy it because I think I think we are meant to see Ethan as being very at this point in his own head mm-hmm. and sort of like obsessed with what could be happening when he's not around. But I think we established Harper a little bit better. So her turn was a little bit more believable. Um, But Ethan's just seems maybe a little bit hasty in comparison. Or maybe, and I hate to go back to this, but maybe this is another spin on the nice guy. Uh But truly, no, I truly, Mm -hmm. like, I'm not saying that to, like, stir something up i'm being honest like i think the the scene where ethan is like no i'm not gaslighting you the intensity with which i think he wants to like smooth over things with harper i wonder if this is another commentary on like how people view themselves versus how they actually act so i don't mean like right just the nice guy quote unquote but if the point is uh sort of like unpeeling yeah, yeah. the way that you think someone else views you versus how you actually view yourself. Maybe that's the angle that we're supposed to apply to Ethan here. Uh, that makes sense. I agree with you there. Hashtag justice for all beef. Um, sure. But 
Yeah, that's an interesting idea that, like, yeah, on the out, on the outside, he's, like, a cool, understanding dude. But then when you, like, oh, his wife might be cheating on him, that's, like, when the real Ethan comes out, you know? like that's, But then yeah, again, that's... it goes back to your gender essentialist argument, which is, are we really saying that every guy would act like this? I don't know. I, I think here's – let me put it a different way, is that, like, we've seen this story, like, thousands of times sure you know, like this story of like oh a guy is jealous of his wife that might be cheating on him. like we've seen that thousands of times since like hundreds of years for, for the last hundreds of years we've seen it you know mm-hmm. and what is less common is like hey this is the slow decline of this relationship where these people are like lying to each other and like how might they maturely deal with that mm-hmm. that's way more interesting to me than like you wanted like the marriage story version of yes this. totally yeah. totally i think that's way more interesting than like oh is he cheating on you know it's like I just don't care as much about that. And, and, and the Harper characterization, I just don't even know what's going on there, right? Like, uh, you I know, agree. We're, we're skipping ahead this, this, uh, but you know, last episode, I think Cam like touches her leg or a couple episodes, like, he, t- he touches her leg. And it's like, wait, did Cam and Harper have something at some, where they like, right. Do they hook up at some point or is Harper just more open-minded than like we know about? The problem is for, for me, I think Aubrey Plaza is doing an awesome job, but like, from a character perspective, we've spent most of the show her, with her being pretty um, uptight, right? Like with mm-hmm. her uh, being really specific about what she is looking for in terms of a vacation or a relationship. Mm-hmm. And then for her to just now be like, oh, I'm open to other things. I could read it as maybe she's getting revenge on Ethan a little bit for making her feel uncomfortable, right? Like that mm-hmm. makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. But is is that it? I don't I don't even know. Anyway, I mean, that, I mean, but again, it's like I don't love that because yeah. then are you just saying that like any woman who experiences jealousy then cheats on her partner to make him feel bad? I, right. I don't know. We might be thinking about these things too broadly, <laughs> if only because I think Ethan and Harper lack a little bit of the uh, manipulative specificity that Cam and Daphne have. Mm-hmm. Like Cam and Daphne's yeah. interactions are full of so many lies that they're each telling each other, yeah. but each of them knows that they're lying, right? It's a really interesting use yeah. of like an open secret type of thing with their relationship where each of them knows that the other is not telling the whole truth. Mm-hmm. With Ethan and Harper, I think we're sort of hitting up against I think we're supposed to take these characters a little bit more sincerely and more yes. earnestly than we take Cam and get Daphne. So now that we're injecting some uh, like obfuscation or mm-hmm. confusion in their storyline, it just becomes unclear. Like I really don't know yeah. what we're supposed to think if Harper and Cam did do something or if we're just supposed to be focused on Ethan's reaction to that. I'm not sure the story tells us one way or the other. Be- beautifully said and i think it's much more clear with the cam and daphne stuff right so in, yeah. there's a scene with cam and daphne and they're sweet and daphne brings up harper's concern and says like hey harper's pretty convinced that you guys did something bad while you were we were in noto what'd you do this time you wink, know wink wink nudge wink, nudge how hard did you party and, oh we just right. partied and you know um and i think you're right that on some level they both know that each other is lying or like mm-hmm. is concealing the truth and that is, that's fascinating and i think that's like a very consistent the show, the series season has been like consistent about them throughout the season, like overall, right? I, I don't right. feel like it's like where is this coming from? The I think gender essentialism is a great way of putting it because I think what we're saying is, is there anything about how Ethan and uh, Harper are acting that is explained by 
what we see on screen versus just this is a dude and this is a woman right? that like is unique to yeah, them as that characters. Unique to them. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, and I agree. It's it's a little bit of a challenge. Um, so anyway, uh, a few other things happened this episode. Of Ethan, uh, Daphne, Harper, Cam. Um, uh, Ethan is coming back from his run and he's in, he's confronted by Lucia and Mia, who still have not been paid by Cam. Mm-hmm. And then Harper sees that and that further upsets her. And he can't explain in the moment because conveniently Cam and Daphne show up right at that point. Again, right there. Yeah. At, at this point, I'm just like, why would you hang out with the, I don't know. I, I've been on trips with people and it's like, you know, at this point in the trip, I'd be like, hey, we're not hanging out anymore. We're we're going to yeah. go do our own thing. You know, we had fun, but like we're going to do our own thing. And it's just like the idea that they would continue hanging out with each other just like completely makes no sense to me. But whatever. I'm the, more antisocial than these people. So, well, the only anyway. thing that I think is is sort of interesting is that it seems like uh, Daphne and Harper have actually developed a real friendship. Hmm. And so I think that's sort of interesting. It doesn't explain why the couples would still necessarily be hanging out with each other, why one of them wouldn't take a day trip. But I thought that there was something about the dynamic between the two women this episode, which felt more comfortable and familiar. And I liked that. I thought that was a nice sort of addition. Well, you know what else I think is really well done? I mean, as we've been discussing, right, they go down to the beach and Daphne goes away for like a massage and then, Mm -hmm. you know, Ethan goes swimming Cam and Harper go back to the room and then Ethan thinks that, uh, you know, something weird has happened or they get drinks and they're really, really friendly like and then they vanish and they go to the room and then Ethan comes back and then he thinks something's happened. And I just I thought the setup was all just really smart. Like Mm -hmm. there's just enough there that you'd understand why Ethan would Would think something happened. But there's enough like it could all just be innocent, like plausible deniability and that part is really well done you know Mm -hmm. like it's just like ooh, like i don't even know what exactly happened and i think it's supposed to be ambiguous at this point yeah so there's just uh it's just like it's it's fun it's a fun setup you know Mm -hmm. but just like little touches like the door being unlocked and the little the little uh deadbolt thingy being in the way you know all that stuff is just like "Mm, it's these are these are nice little touches from a from a mystery perspective it made me think have we seen cam reed because I love that his cam was going back to get a book. <laughs> that really made me laugh. Mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. I thought about like freezing to see if we could see what the book was. Mm-hmm, uh, but I mm-hmm. think it's never quite in focus enough. But that's another thing where I'm like, I would Cam be going back to get like a novel to read on the beach? I don't know. <laughs> he doesn't seem like the reading type. Yeah. I, I, I also know. think this reinforces the idea that Cam like has no money. You know, I, I brought yes. up that theory a couple weeks ago or last week, but like, I agree. I, I think he's probably broke and he's trying like Ethan's paying for this trip or something like that. And or he maybe needs Ethan e- does not yet know that he's going to be asked to pay for this trip. Right. I could see yeah, Cam totally. saying like, hey, uh, because you didn't inside trade with me. Why don't you with your yeah, newfound wealth cover, cover the trip as yeah. an act of good faith? You'll cover this, you know, like, yeah. Um, but yeah, my my guess is that Cam is either too busy to get his pros- his uh his money for his sex worker, or mm-hmm. uh, he doesn't have any money. Uh, or <laughs> third of- option, he's just an asshole who was never going to pay them anyway. Yes. Yes, you know, that's also a possibility because sometimes I think that we're looking for deeper motivations for Cam's actions because we're trying to figure out who died potentially. But I think a lot about Shane in season one, there sometimes weren't motivations past he was just awful, Mm -hmm. right? So maybe it's a possibility. Ethan confronts Cam 
uh, about all the stuff that's happened. Like, why are you flirting with my wife? I know you were mm-hmm. naked with her, like all this stuff. And Cam is like, you're out of your mind. Denies uh, then, it. Just denies yeah, it. Yeah. Just comfort- and then, and then we get our first, I think like visual hallucination sequence in the white Lotus. If I am correct about, you know, I, one, if not the first and one of the first where like, well, he's seeing a scene sequence play out that he doesn't know if it actually is real. Right. Yeah, I think we had a little, maybe a touch of this earlier in the season when Tanya and Greg are having sex and she gets frightened by the Moore's heads. Yeah, yeah. So I don't think she fantasizes, but there is sort of a surreal quality Correct. Yeah. Uh, to that. And then in this, it's interesting because the audio design, we hear the noises of the scene first before we see that it's Ethan and then before we pivot over and see what he's imagining. So again, like you said, interestingly and well done, very well shot. Uh, And I guess it does give us a perspective about what Ethan is worrying about feeling, uh, seeing quote unquote. I just, again, I'm like, it just, it just comes a little bit out of nowhere for me. Like it's, it would be, I, I know there's the conversation that Cam and Ethan had at the vineyard of like, you know, oh, different dating pools. And like, I was never interested in people you're interested in. And like, you date the people I'm interested in because you want to like feel as powerful as me. Like it is like kind of set up, but I wish we got a little bit more set up of like, why does it matter to Ethan if Harper is cheating on him? Like why, how important is their relationship to Ethan? At this point. At this point, right. I think we sort of get that when he says that he wants to work on it earlier yeah. in the episode but i agree yeah. with you it's it's a couple lines but, but like, of dialogue throughout the, throughout the sea i wish we'd gotten it throughout the season of like yeah hey he knows that he and harper are on the rocks and like this mm-hmm. trip they, they really need this trip to like reset the things. relationship yeah, exactly right. and then it's like oh it's going south you know like that would make way more sense to me instead this whole plot line feels like it comes out of nowhere for me see that's exactly um, how i felt about the harper plot line like i thought aubrey plaza acted it well yeah. but i couldn't understand why she would seemingly indulge cam in like sexual conversations or conversations about her own history again it's like i understand that ethan had been like hey try to have fun you Mm -hmm. know like loosen up a little bit but for her to take that turn into whatever she's doing with cam felt a little bit uh outside of the realm for me the only thing i'll say is i wonder if what's happening here is sort of like a shifting perspective Rashomon type thing where Ethan is seeing it a certain way. And so we're seeing it the way Ethan is seeing it. And maybe mm-hmm. Harper isn't really flirting as much with Cam. I don't know. I'm just trying to think of other ways, maybe where this storytelling could feel a little bit more cohesive. In terms of your question of like, what is Harper doing? Uh, you know, I have a few theories, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, I, I, which I've already mentioned a little bit, like the maybe Harper, yeah, maybe Harper and Cam have already yeah, have already gotten together before in the past, and mm-hmm. we don't know about it. Maybe Harper's trying to make Ethan jealous. Maybe Harper is using this as an opportunity to explore what an extramarital engagement might feel and look like. You know, like and she does have that line where she's like, uh, basically, like the physical aspect of our right. relationship. Like, I need more. Yeah, she needs more. Exactly. exactly yeah. Right. Um, but from this guy who you clearly hate. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the 
<laughs> you couldn't find yeah. any other just like handsome guy thing. to just, flirt with just, at the resort. It just all doesn't like quite add up for me. Like it'd be one thing if like she found she found him appealing in some way. I don't know. Maybe maybe uh, it's like oh, who wouldn't find Cam appealing? And like that's kind of what we're supposed to think. But I don't know. Anyway, anyway. Mm. Sorry to Theo James. It's nothing against Theo James. It's mm-hmm. just it's it's yeah. It's an interesting turn to be like. I hate everything about you and what you stand for and who you are as a person to I'm going to shrug my shirt off so you can see me better in my bikini. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't I don't mm-hmm. entirely love it. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. Well, one thing I can say about that scene with Ethan in this episode of The White Lotus is uh, when he gets that, those horrifying visions in his head, mm-hmm. he probably feels electrified by them. Mm. Probably, yeah. And I mentioned that because this episode of Decoding TV is brought to you by Nissan. Except they're electrifying you in a good way. You see, as a pioneer in the electric vehicle space, Nissan's always looking for ways to deliver meaningful technologies to EV owners. After all, Nissan has been making EVs since 1947, and their EVs have now traveled 8 billion miles by Nissan Leaf owners since 2010. 8 billion miles. That's That's the equivalent of driving to Pluto and back. Oh, wow. Think that's electrifying? One of their EVs trekked all the way to the North Pole, and Nissan even tests their EV technology on the Formula E racetrack. But Nissan knows you don't just get an EV for the E. You get an EV because it makes you feel electric. Because hmm. it sparks your imag- imagination. It ignites something within you. It pins you to your seat. It takes your breath away. At least that's what Nissan thinks about when designing their EVs like the Nissan Aria and the Nissan Leaf. It's about creating a thrilling design that electrifies customers. I love Nissan's focus on creating a thrilling drive in an electrifying life. In today's world, it's so important to look around you, pay attention, and look for all the tiny ways that life can electrify you. Like, for instance, in the case of the White Lotus, I mean, so many things are electrifying in the White Lotus. Flirting with danger. Flirting with people outside of who you'd normally flirt with. Anyway, a huge thanks to Nissan for sponsoring this episode of Decoding TV. Nissan. EVs that electrify. All right, let's get to the rest of the episode. Let's do it. So, Albie and Lucia, uh, Dom and Bert. So, uh, you know what my big complaint with the White Lotus has been so far, uh, Mm -hmm. Roxana? Not enough graphic sex scenes with Albie, you know? Um... You just, you have not had enough. You need more. I I, I needed more. And this episode answered the call. So thank, thank God we got to see. I think this was actually the least graphic, right? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I think there was no like explicit nudity. uh, Yeah. I think, I think maybe we see faces and potentially torsos, but we did get the establishing shot of like, don't worry, Albie and Lucia are still doing this. No discussion of payment at this point Mm -hmm, past mm -hmm. that interaction so i wonder again like are they for now just hanging out seems like it i mean i think that um albie is lucia's mark yeah i think you're thinking there's a long con happening there is a long con happening now yeah the uh i want to thank anna marie from brooklyn for writing into decodingtv at gmail.com. And she sent in a translation of uh, the conversation that happened between the man that grabbed Lucia, who's named Alessio, mm-hmm. while they were out with Albi. Mm-hmm. Um, Lucia says, what's up? And Alessio says, are you having fun? And Lucia says, yes, I'm having fun. And Alessio says, why didn't you respond to my messages? 
And Lucia says, because we're going for a walk. He then says something inaudible or incomprehensible while he grabs her, almost like he's just mimicking or mocking what she just said. And then she pulls away and says, what the fuck are you doing? And then walks off. That's the conversation. Okay. So very opaque. Yeah. And somewhat innocuous, arguably, you know? Arguably. Could yeah. be an ex-boyfriend. Yeah. Could be a just a guy. Could be yeah. another client. I mean, I don't know. The implication, we don't know. The implication from the show is pimp, right? Yes. I think. But, she has uh, said yeah. Alessio is her pimp. Uh, and that is part of the like story that she is sort of telling Albie about being, um, I don't think she's ever said necessarily abused, but she does say, you know, she has a story and we'll get to it later on this episode where she says like, he doesn't want to let me go. He won't let me go. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's also possible that Lucia is conspiring with Alessio to extract as much money out of all. Oh yeah. No, I I think, I think right now, I think the show is sort of tipping toward a long con sort of storyline. I, I mean, Here's kind of my broader issue with this episode is I just don't feel like we're going to have a satisfying resolution on all these plot lines by next episode. Like it still feels like we're like three to four episodes from the end. And next se- next week is the finale of this season. You know, I kind of feel like there are some jumps happening here between like character development and narrative that I wish we had gotten like another episode, maybe between five and six mm-hmm. to flesh out mm-hmm. a little bit more. Well, anyway, uh, this episode, they decide to go to Bert's mother's hometown, which was the which, entire point of the trip for the DeGrassos. Right. Yeah. The entire point. They're finally doing it now, like six days into their week long trip. Yes. Uh, yeah. Bert and Dom are hopeful. Bert in particular is looking forward to the opportunity of a real homecoming and right. Albie finds a translator who is Lucia. Mm-hmm. Uh, he introduces Lucia as a translator. Uh, Lucia does not make it obvious that she's met Dom, but Dom is being awkward and Bert calls him on it. Uh, you know, this is fun. This is fun stuff. This is like, this is really you know, good writing for those characters. Yeah. Awkward, yeah. painful, cringy stuff. This is kind of what I enjoy the white Lotus for. And you get, um, uh, again, we get more of a sense that Bert is, very good at this right he knows how to divert mm-hmm. a conversation yeah he knows yep. how to play the game sort of that cam and daphne are playing with each other bert basically tells dom like get it together otherwise you're going to give the game away if you really don't want albie to know then you need to chill yeah um and yeah then they leave for the trip yeah, so they learn there's still a DeGrasso family in the town that mm-hmm. uh, they visit. Uh, but Lucia Lucia is unnerved by the appearance of a man she says is Alessio in an SUV that followed him there. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a weird confrontation on the road. They pull over, and then Lucia goes home with Alessio. Uh, but the other guys are trying to stop her because they all think that something is really wrong. Right. Um, but then Lucia, Lucia shows up later at Albie's uh, hotel room, and she seems unharmed. Uh, at that point, if physically I unharmed. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I, um, I really love that scene. We don't have to talk about it in depth. But again, I, I liked the DeGrasso generations like uniting for something. Mm-hmm, yeah. And yeah. yes, it's uniting to defend a woman who might be conning them. But I I liked <laughs> yeah. I liked sort of everyone's approach. Like I like that Dom. Yeah, it's all they're all different. In, in yeah. Their own way, right? Dom yeah. suddenly becomes a heavy. And yeah. he's like, we could take these guys, right? Yeah. Albie, of course, is like, well, it's more respectful if we let her do what she wants and we yeah. shouldn't escalate yeah. it, which is a sort of hilarious Albie response. And then Bert is just shocked. Like, my heart broke for Bert a little bit this episode because I think things 
keep happening that he doesn't understand mm-hmm. um, and can't really figure out. Like, I think Bert potentially feels his own irrelevance this episode. Mm. And I think yeah. F. Murray Abraham did a really good job with that. He's, he's awesome. This, you know, I'm not saying he's not a piece of shit as a character. Sure. But he was so off-putting in the first episode, like harassing everyone. Yeah. And then he's become like kind of, in some ways, a Greek chorus or audience surrogate character, like mm-hmm. watching this madness unfold around him and providing funny commentary. Mm-hmm. So I've really enjoyed that character's presence for the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. But as you indicate, they get to the Degrasso family relative's house and it's three women, maybe two or three generations, mm-hmm. Bert's aunt, Bert's cousins. They only speak Italian. They do not understand or are not interested in engaging with what the men have to say and eventually tell them to run off. What do we need men for? The woman asks. Bert asks to see their mother and they laugh at the idea because she's a real hard case, commands them to leave and immediately starts screaming at them. Yeah. Um, she says things like, you want the pretty money, shame on you. I curse you and your kind. Fuck off. Um, so, yeah. And then that's that's probably the culmination of this whole trip. Yeah. Um, so what do you think uh, you want the pretty money means? I, I My guess at what was being said was this idea of like you left for you know for to to find a more prosperous life and like that that departure was seen as a betrayal by uh by people from their hometown um but i don't know i have no i I don't really have any idea i yeah i have no clue i mean i think that could be part of it uh like why are you coming back you left yeah i i also i hmm I don't know if we know exactly why Bert's mom left. I don't know if there's an illusion here that like maybe Bert's mother had a falling out with these other women. Mm-hmm. But I, but because of the language barrier, I'm not sure that they really know who Bert is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so again, if we're just doing like a generalized reading, I think it's three women who seem pretty self-sufficient and are like, what are these men doing here? Get out. <laughs> right. Right. And and this idea, as you said, like Bert is feeling his irrelevance, like he in his worldview, it's the role of women to like welcome him back to and comfort his home him and comfort yeah. him. And that is clearly not what he receives this episode. So. Right. Right. Uh, and he explains that uh, in, mm-hmm. at, you know, when they have dinner at the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, although he does have a nice moment with Mia and talks mm-hmm. about how good she's at singing and performing. So mm-hmm. there's that. Mm-hmm. Um, the final scene Lucia shows up at Albie's room uh, and she talks about how like Alessia wants to control her and he won't let me go and Albie says what would it take to let you go and he she says money and yeah. I think it, I think it's a con I think she's going to try to extract some money from him and like that's the whole game I also um, could see uh, take me to LA with you mm, yeah possibly yeah possibly, and there's so. part of me uh, I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't love that for either. I don't love <laughs> Lucia or Mia or I don't know anything about how they're being presented. I, I have to say, yeah, yeah, sure. The, like Lucia, like we, this is a situation where we don't know what we're watching, right? So yeah. it's like, we, we're not going to know until the end of the season, like whether the Lucia characterization was consistent throughout. Right. Um, but I do think uh, it is worth noting that in the first episode, she says she found Dom online. Right. And she seems like pretty in control 
right. of her own destiny at that point. Right. So and you know. earlier, you know, I praised this scene, and I I still think I still actually agree with this when Bert says to Albie like all women are not victims, right? Yeah. Like you don't necessarily yeah. need to be saving her. This could be a choice she's making. I sort of, I, I, and I sort of agree that uh, Lucia as a little bit of a femme fatale character could be conning Albie, probably is conning Albie. Yeah. And there's part of me that like respects that uh, characterization. Yeah. Like women can be bad too. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> I just wish that there was more to Lucia or more to Mia. So we understood this storytelling a little bit more. Yeah, totally. Um, especially totally. Mia. Cause I really do not get what is going on there. Well, they're holding. Yeah. Mia is just like a manic pixie dream piano player at this point. But I think, yeah. I think Lucia, they're just holding their cards until the final episode. They're, like mm-hmm. it will be, my guess is it'll be revealed next episode. And then we'll be like, oh, that's what the show was trying mm-hmm. to do all along. And then we can more fully evaluate. Right. We could like rewatch and yeah. see how the pieces fit together. Right, right. Right. But the the whole like Alessio is my pimp and he's trying to control me feels like it clashes pretty harshly with the characterization of Mia that we got in the first episode or two. Or with she Lucia's seems like- characterization. The Lucia characterization, mm-hmm. where she seems like she's having a blast, and like mm-hmm. I, I watched, I remember watching those episodes. Those do not seem like a woman living in fear to me. Um, well, but yeah, you know, and it's, maybe and, yeah, and it's hard because again, it's like you don't necessarily want to be the person who judges. Like, how does this female character react to a perceived threat? Does she react like mm-hmm, afraid yeah. enough for me? Right, like right. that's sort of a True. slippery slope. But True. I think both you and I thought um, that her turn toward guilt. I think three or four episodes in and feeling like she wasn't going to be forgiven. And mm-hmm. there was sort of like a Catholic guilt thing that happened that felt like a distinct turn that we did not have a lot of context or background for. Yeah. And then I think in that same episode or maybe in the next episode is when like this Alessio figure appeared. Right. right. So it just seems like a lot of rapid uh, <laughs> transformations for this character that might not necessarily be linked together in a yet fulfilling way. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah. And, and good call out. Like, yeah, maybe she was under the threat of Alessio the whole time. Know. And like, and different women would handle it in different ways. So yeah, right. I don't mean to imply that like, if you're being pimped out by someone, you must behave a certain way. Good, yeah. It's a good call out. Um, right. No, I just think, but, I think what we're both looking for is for Lucia and Mia to have a scene where they're together long enough for either one of them to explain what they're doing to the other. Right. But to sort of introduce these characters as best friends who we now have seen be separate for a couple of episodes, it doesn't help uh, explain their motivations, really. Let's talk about Tanya and Quentin. Let's do it. Tanya and Portia talk with Tanya warning Portia about Jack. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) I actually really like that scene. Tanya's Mm -hmm. behavior this whole episode is very like muted you know she's very like not happy-go-lucky you know randomly doing things I mean, she's she's going along with what's going on but she feels very like you know she's muted because she's seen something that's upset her which is that either quentin's having sex with his nephew or quentin's lying about who his nephew is like one right. of those two things is one true. or the other there's like an element here that is not good but, but again, I, I love when she's like i just have a strong hunch yeah, but that's the case, and that's a it's a fun moment. But, but again, yeah. like, wouldn't you leave? <laughs> I just, <laughs> I 
I again, yeah. I'm just like, wouldn't you go? Wouldn't you be yeah. like, okay, this is weird. My hosts are clearly lying about themselves or right. whatever. I should leave. Qu- Quentin is saying very dark, ominous things about wouldn't you die for beauty? Like it's just, but um, you know, the social pressure, I guess. I guess. And and we do know that Tanya is sort of flighty in her own way. But yes, I mean, honestly, Tanya is absent for most of this episode. There's the Mm -hmm. conversation with Portia in the morning, and then a whole day seems to pass where we don't know what Tanya is doing. And then we just see her getting ready for the party, right? And then the party happens that night. Yep. Uh, And then she hooks up with this man that Quentin has brought in, Niccolo, right, Mm -hmm. I believe? Mm and Niccolo flirts with him and they do cocaine together. Um, and Well, let's make clear. Quentin and Niccolo like coax Tanya into doing the cocaine. Mm-hmm. There mm-hmm. is a lot of sort of like, it's a party. Don't you want to have fun sort of things that are happening? Like Quentin very quickly whisks her around the room, then introduces her to Niccolo, holds back her hair while she does cocaine seemingly is like encouraging her during this evening to be as potentially uh hedonistic and maybe reckless as possible mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh we do get some full uh full male frontal nudity in mm-hmm. this episode um mm-hmm. and i think it's i i think it's worth mentioning just because if you're going to show nudity in general, I feel like you should be equal opportunity nudists for both genders. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's rare to see like full frontal male nudity in in TV shows in general. So, um, so we did do we get, that get here. it with Cam? Well, like we don't know if it was Theo James, but we do see. I don't think we ever saw his thing in in this I show. We did. <laughs> I thought we did in the first episode. We I think we saw his ass and maybe like maybe the side of it, you know. But okay. But his his back was to the mirror, if I recall correctly. So interesting. Okay. But maybe you just imagine Theo James' penis, and that's completely maybe. fine. Maybe that's possible. You know? But yeah. yes, and this it's like it's like a it's a reveal, right? Yeah. Um. But the reveal, the more important reveal. <laughs> yes. Is the photo? Do you want to talk about the photo? Uh. Okay. So at one point, she's she picks up this photo and. They're in like Quentin's bedroom, it seems mm-hmm. like. She's yeah. looking at photos that are on a bedside table. Uh, and there is a black and white photo that Tanya hones in on. Uh, and it is two men wearing cowboy hats. And it is a younger Quentin and a younger Greg. Now, uh, uh, I... I have a lot of questions. Uh, well, first of all, it's a general problem that photoshopped photos in general in tv shows and films look awful Mm. um Mm -hmm. and i felt like this one was no different it looked pretty fake and photoshopped to me which is kind of a bummer Mm -hmm. because it's such a critical reveal in this episode it looked pretty awful and that's a bummer i I wish they had spent a little bit more time on it the other thing is that it's just even if it wasn't done poorly it's just like a pretty silly photo <laughs> like what did you what yeah. do you think i just think the photo is sort of silly i think that maybe a uh, cowboy hat is not like tom hollander's look potentially um yeah. but what was more confusing to me about this scene is that i feel like we've now had two important moments for tanya where perhaps it's not entirely clear how she 
perceives them. Like in her conversation with Portia, I can totally understand why she doesn't come out and say like, hey, this is what I saw. Um, She just sort of implies like Jack's bad news. Don't necessarily bank all of your hopes on this guy. But in this moment, like I, I'm not sure what Tanya's reaction mm-hmm. is. To like the that photo. she realized like what is actually going right. on. Right, she's done a lot of cocaine, like a <laughs> lot of cocaine, mm-hmm. and I I don't know if we get like I I just think her expression is inscrutable mm-hmm. rather than like oh hey, that's my husband. You know, I don't know. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Or or potentially, why isn't she like, holy shit, this whole thing has been set up to murder me. I need right. the GTFO, right? right. It's, t- it's tough when the audience is ahead of the characters. And I mm-hmm. think that's the case here. Like, we we as the audience, we have like all these theories about what's going on. And it, we don't know if Tanya feels any of it at all. Probably not, based on our knowledge of things. Mm-hmm. So, it's tough. Yeah. But yeah. But then she does have sex with this guy. So. Yeah, or seemingly does. He's naked. He's like kneeling yeah. in front of her. Yeah. And we then sort of leave that room. But again, it's very funny to me that she's just like, okay, yeah, let's do this <laughs> in this again, bedroom. Again, she had, she's had a lot of cocaine, you know, yeah. she's probably just high on life. So, yeah. Um, so, so I guess, again, this is something that will probably be resolved next episode. Like, how much did she absorb yeah. the photo? Yeah. Uh, we also had a whole plotline with Portia and Jack. Uh, right. Again, they, you know, Portia has a conversation with Tanya that morning, and uh, and tries and Tanya tries to warn her off of the Jack situation, but um, she does tell Tanya does tell Portia, hey, maybe you should slow it down with this guy. Like, right. if he's not willing to pay for an Arancini, like maybe he's trouble, you know? Because mm-hmm. um, Arancini is like a dollar, um, <laughs> so. And I like the story that she tells about uh, like feeling like she was conditioned from a young age to be a plaything for other people. Mm-hmm. That's like a surprising amount of self-awareness from Tanya in that moment. And like you said, Jennifer Coolidge is like a little bit muted. Yeah. And I, I liked that uh, like a little bit more of a somber quality. Uh, but then again, it sort of speaks then later on to how that conditioning has endured because again she puts on a frilly dress she twirls around for quentin and then she goes out to this party where she's quote-unquote the maid of honor right but really she's just a diversion for these people mm-hmm. or uh, a mark so, you know yeah, yeah so i really liked coolidge's uh performance in that moment but yeah of course she tells uh portia to stay away from jack and portia does the exact opposite <laughs> I, you know, I think there's a reading of this season where um, Portia should have gotten together with Albie mm-hmm. and uh, and she didn't and, and, and pays dearly for it, as we see in this episode. Um, but what's interesting to me about that is I think we so far are supposed to feel, I think we're supposed to, mm, I might be projecting too much here. But I think in in this episode in particular, we're supposed to think Portia made a mistake. Yes. Portia hooked up with this guy who is bad news. She's made a mistake or whatever. And we don't yet know if Albie has made the same mistake with Lucia Mm -hmm. because we don't know if Lucia is running a con or not. Yeah. But in this episode in particular, I was like, okay, so we're really supposed to like look at Portia and think you screwed up. Yes. You know? Yeah. 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 
I, I think they both screwed up. Like they should have mm-hmm. ended up together, and instead they're with these other people who are using sex to for transactive purposes, which is I think mm-hmm. one of the themes of the season, right? Okay, um, but can I go back and say even if Albi and Portia had hooked up, wouldn't they also each be using sex for transactive purposes? I, think I only genuinely. Say- I, I think we're meant to think that they actually genuinely could like each other, even though, as we discussed, there's no like electricity there. Necessarily, well, the only reason I yeah. say that is because remember when Portia on the phone with her sister, her mm-hmm. sister was like, "Just find a guy, any guy, to help pass the time," mm-hmm. and that's what sort of connects Portia with Albie in the first place. Mm. So I just mean more so. Uh, I don't necessarily mean in this context transactional in a bad way i mean more that like sure yeah if albie and portia had just gone into it as like we're on vacation we're only here for a week let's have a good time it doesn't really matter yeah. i think that would have been fine uh but it's not what happened and so now portia's spending the day with jack which well what's interesting too is jack is actively trying to keep her away from the party Yes. Uh, and so this does lend credence to the Latanya's theory who emailed into us and many other people's theory that like Jack is there to keep Portia distracted. Jack is bad news. Yeah. He is. Yeah. He gets super drunk and very embarrassing and Portia is very put upon. And then they uh, eventually have like a conversation. You know, he's like getting belligerent with people on the street. Like he's mm-hmm. actively like endangering her. Mm-hmm. Uh, they get back to the hotel and then. uh <laughs> He's very drunk and kind of accidentally lets slip that like Quinton's probably not really her his his uncle. Um, yeah, he's just I think he's drunk enough where whatever yeah. like gently leading questions Portia mm-hmm. is asking him, he's drunk enough to share. So he sort of talks about how he was in like a very deep hole at yeah. one point in his life, which goes back to earlier in the episode where he sort of is like shaming Portia a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. for like complaining about the world i think he is doing a little bit of like what do you have to complain about yeah uh you're I've here hit rock with... bottom you know like right i fit rock everything's bottom. icing on the cake for me right um, you're here with your wealthy boss you don't have to work you're just yeah. spending time on a free trip and yes he sort of calls quentin more of a friend mm-hmm. right than a family yeah. member uh confirms that he's broke and he was gonna have to sell the villa but now he's coming into some money. He's coming into some money. Hmm. Right. Right. I wonder what that's all wonder about. Wonder what that is. Yep. Right. Yep. Right. Uh, and then he he kind of falls asleep, and Portia is like, "I've made a huge tiny mistake." <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. I've made a terrible, terrible error. Yeah. yeah. Anything yeah. else about uh, this plotline before we move to the final um, uh, discussion? No, I think that's I think that's it. I just again, I sort of am curious about exactly the nature of Greg and Quentin's relationship. Like if it's actually a romantic relationship or if Greg just knew Quentin was in Italy and it's a way to come into some money. I'm curious how that plays out. My feeling, okay, I mean, I'm going to ask you to make predictions at the end of this podcast. I think. Sure. Okay. So, okay, let's we'll save it for that. But like mm-hmm. So I'll share I'll share my theories as well. But like mm-hmm. anyway, let's get to the final plot line. Valentina and Mia uh and Isabella, right? Mm-hmm. Um Salvatore from the beach club is relentlessly hitting on Isabella in the lobby. Valentina separates them. Did you you and and she, you know, Isabella later describes it as like that's what's going on. I don't think we like yeah. get it from that scene, but yeah. Yeah. Um it's Valentina's birthday. She asks Isabella for a drink after work so they can have a toast together. Um, that evening, Valentina puts on lip gloss, g- getting ready to leave with Isabella. Isabella comes up to her, asks that Salvatore be moved. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's making her uncomfortable. And then mm-hmm. she says she wants Rocco back at the front desk because 
Rocco is her boyfriend and they are engaged. Right. Was her boyfriend, now is her fiance. <laughs> and they were just like keeping it on the down low at work. Mm-hmm. Right. Which Valentina is, of course, not happy about. She's stunned, I think. Yeah. And she's trying to like hide her stun because she, she, Valentina is interested in Isabella romantically. Right. right. And so uh, it's painful for uh, Valentina. She goes to get a drink at the bar and then ends up hooking up with Mia. Uh, right. Because that was kind of the terms of their arrangement. See, um, I I really felt like this existed outside of the arrangement. I thought that this was like Mia hitting on Valentina. Like, I agree with you. They had discussed the arrangement previously. Mia had said, like, I know you're a lesbian. Like, let me play the piano, whatever, whatever. But this scene was just so... It just felt... It felt like we were... I don't know how we were supposed to feel. I don't know if we were supposed to think that Mia is actually genuinely interested in Valentina and this was an expression of that. Or to your point, if she's just following through on their perceived bargain, again, I just, I don't love the Mia characterization here. So I didn't quite know what to make of it. I have given up on hoping for any kind of depth to the Mia character. Yeah, poor Um, Mia. Sorry, Mia. Yeah, but I think... um, I, I did find that this episode gave Valentina some depth and mm-hmm. and a tragic nature, you know, tragic nature to that character of um, she, I think she's feels like she is gay and she's mm-hmm. never been with a woman and she's very repressed. Um, and that explains a lot of her behavior throughout the season. Also so. still very bad at her job. Correct. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Uh, shouldn't be hitting on employees and so on. No, but. no. I did kind of enjoy how Isabella is like completely oblivious to everything. I was like, is this believable? And I was like, no, it's, I think it's believable. I think it's you know? believable. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it is believable. Like I think yeah. um, like Valentina, I think potentially, you know, something that I think the scene does very interestingly is like, should Valentina have told Isabella that she's interested in her romantically? And I know there very much is the argument of like, someone should not have to come out all the time, right? Like you shouldn't have to explain who you are all the time. So I appreciated that. But then I also felt like potentially Valentina, as we then later learn, is a person who hasn't had a lot of opportunities to do this, to date, maybe hasn't been comfortable dating. So clearly asking out Isabella took a lot out of her, right? Like it felt like a big, like courageous moment. And then you know, to have that deflated so fully <laughs> was not not yeah. great for her. It's really yeah. sad. This is probably the best sort of Valentina episode since the beginning of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't excuse her behavior, but mm-hmm. it does make her kind of more tragic. And I like that. Right. So, yeah. Um, okay. That's it. That's m- most of the plot lines of the episode. Mm-hmm. So... This is the penultimate episode of White Lotus Season 2. It's time to make our predictions, Roxana. It's okay. time to make some calls about what's actually going on. And next week, I, I should point out, by the way, also, that um, next week we're going to be recording live right after the episode airs. So, you mm-hmm. know, typically we have like lots of prep. Roxana prepares like immaculate show notes and we kind of Aside talk Aside from Daphne's child's photo. <laughs> Pretty solid show notes. <laughs> They're yeah. really good show notes. And then we kind of talk about, you know, we walk through it in the way that we do in the podcast. But um, we're 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 not going to get the finale next mm-hmm. week. And so next week is going to be pretty 
um, it, it'll be a little bit more rough than it mm-hmm. usually is. Um, and it might not be as methodical uh, as mm-hmm. usual, but uh, I am going to ask you to make some calls, Roxana, on like what is going on. So let's let's ask the big questions, okay? Yeah. Uh, here are some very basic questions. Okay. We'll just do like three, four, or five questions. Here we go. Okay. Um, what is the nature of Jack and Quentin's relationship? So my thinking is basically... Quentin got Jack out of some terrible addiction or mm-hmm. debt hole a long time right. ago. Right. Um, and he's therefore like kind of has a lifetime debt to, to Quentin. Jack has a lifetime debt to Quentin, which he is fulfilling by being Portia's um, fuck boy. Um, yeah. I episode. mean, again, right. I think probably, uh, hmm. I think it is probably the show's real like pimp slash sex worker relationship. Like, mm-hmm. I think that there is essentially a debt that mm-hmm, Jack yeah. has to pay. Uh, and so he's part of Quentin's crew to sort of pay that off. Mm-hmm. Um, because if we can, if we take what Jack says is true, the, this is something they do, right? They sort yeah. of like, they travel around, they yeah. befriend older women. And so I think Jack plays the role of the uh, distraction or the diversion over and over again. Yeah. So I think there was like an addiction situation or some other type of rock bottom thing, as you alluded to earlier. So yeah, it, I'm thinking not related, unless Mike White really wanted to add another level of like <laughs> messed upness to this storyline. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But uh, is yeah. whether or not he accomplishes it mm-hmm. is Quentin's intention to murder Tanya. I think yes. I think yes. Yeah, okay. I think this this episode had enough like ominous touches. Yeah, we didn't discuss it, but there's a shot where like Tanya is dancing on the dance floor, mm-hmm. um, and then we sort of pause on her. We see that she has made eye contact with Quentin. The music drops out, and they just share like sort of an ominous kind of look, and then the music comes back in. So unless we get yeah like a hard diversion at this point, I think Quentin is nefarious. Very nefarious. Yeah. Uh, is Albi Lucia's mark in some way, or does Lucia actually like Albi? I think Can we say I think, it's both. Yeah, maybe it's like you know when I got into this, it was just because it was my job. But then I fell in love. You know, uh, it's possible. I think he's just a mark. I don't think she has any feelings to him. So um, I think that's what she. I'm put I think she does. I think when she says stuff like, I wish all men were like you, I think that's genuine. Mm-hmm. But I, hmm. yeah. I think it's, I think it's all just part of the game. That's my prediction. Okay. So, okay. Was Daphne, I'm sorry, was Harper actually cheating on Ethan with oh Cam? My God. With Cam. Oh, man. I know. Yeah. Um, we're going to have to make a, you know, tough call here. Tough call. This one's the most ambiguous, I think. I don't know if we'll ever know, but I I think it would make more sense for the character if she was not. <sighs> I'll say yes. I think she was doing something. Okay. Oh, but yeah. Uh, here's what here's what yeah, I'll say. Because here's I the thing: they show she... they show it to you, like they show you the fantasy scene in this episode. So it's yeah. like. I think it, if she was, it's because the story needed her to. Mm-hmm, I don't mm-hmm. think the character as written would do that. 
the reason I think so they show you the, the Ethan fantasy scene and it's yeah. like and it's like when a, a TV show or film does that typically when they show you something like that not always maybe even 50% of the time 50-50 mm-hmm. let's say mm-hmm. what they show you as the fantasy didn't happen right because it's just to sort of lead you along it's just to lead you along thinking. but then like when you find out the truth right it, it, it's usually not like oh so the thing we saw as a fantasy happened like that that's not very satisfying right yeah what's more satisfying like a, a great example of this would be mission impossible mm-hmm. six mm-hmm. fallout mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. a scene where like tom cruise is like imagining what happens if he goes along on this heist yeah he's imagining and, the attack on the french police yes that's right that's right and then it's like then the attack on the French police actually happens and it plays out way differently than yeah. how he imagined it. And it's because if they just showed it again in the same way, it would be extremely unsatisfying right. and repetitive. Right? right. So it's like if they show it to you, like the fact that they had the fantasy scene makes me feel like you're right, Roxana, mm-hmm. that she's not actually cheating with him. What if we had a scene where we learned that Harper came on to Cam and Cam said no or that Cam came on to Harper and she said no? Mm. I don't know. I'm just trying to think of yeah, like. That's possible. That's possible. Yeah. What else could complicate that? All right. So I think we're both on the on the uh, no side. Of, hopefully uh, no. Yeah. Hopefully no. Okay. Hopefully no. Uh, uh, we're. I mean, we're coming up the final one or two questions here, but like okay. the, the basic, the the ultimate question is, and these are related. Yeah. Does Quentin succeed in killing Tanya? And who are the dead bodies at the beginning of the show? Okay. My my guess is. That Quentin's plan, as we've discussed, is to kill Tanya. Right. That Quentin and his crew of people fail spectacularly. Okay. For some reason. Okay. Uh, my guess is because of Portia's intervention, because she's the only person that could help at this point. Okay. And they all end up dying instead. Like Quentin, Jack, Quentin, and Jack, and all Greg. the people. Quentin, Jack, and uh, yeah. Greg, maybe. Quentin, Jack, and Greg. That's right. They all end up okay. dying. Okay. Um. Because it feels like the show wouldn't kill Jennifer Coolidge, but that's just my gut feeling. So I think they fail in killing Jennifer Coolidge, and they're the okay. ones who end up dying. That's my guess. Okay. All right. Do you have any guesses? In the beginning of the season, I thought that Coolidge was going to die. Mm-hmm. Now I'm not so sure. Mm-hmm. And I have no real reason for thinking this but i wonder if it's albie dom and bert the and only why, reason i say those things you, is you because think they, so you think quentin doesn't succeed and the actual dead bodies are the the grassos yes uh the only reason i think this is because I feel like Bert's storyline this episode is kind of tragic. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's like a little bit of, uh, mm. it feels like a story ending potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like Albie and Dom, um, there's been so much of a discussion about like people who leave versus people who stay the family that they left behind to come here mm-hmm. potentially Albie being an easy mark for lucia i feel like if they all die that sort of closes the lucia narrative hole and maybe provides it with some resolution mm. but i re- i really do not 
know. It's interesting because I think in season one, looking back on it, once you know who dies in season one, there's a lot of setup for it, I think. Because you Mm -hmm. see that character like spinning out of control a little bit. Yes. With this, the setup is definitely for Tanya. I just, I don't, I I would be very surprised if the Quentin and Greg crew can pull it off, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And what would that look like? Like, would they really drown her? Like, would they come back from the villa to the hotel to drown her? That doesn't make sense to me either. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. Well, those are our predictions. I think that's a very strong set of predictions we just made. Like, I feel like between the two of us, we're probably right about most of the things, but who knows? Time makes fools of us all. If you have a prediction... Send it to us at decodingtv at gmail.com. If somebody yes. hits it dead on, I'm yes. going to definitely read it on the air. Oh, um, yeah. So feel free to predict like who you think is going to die. Does Tanya die? Is Lucia, Lucia Albi's mark or uh, vice versa and so on? Let us know at decodingtv at gmail.com. Um, but should be fun to find out what the actual truth is. We'll, we'll be mean, learning in, it in real time. That's going to bring us into this week's episode of Decoding TV. Roxana, where can people find more of your work on the internet? You can find me at Vulture and you can find me on Twitter still. And uh, you can find Decoding TV on YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, YouTube, uh, Instagram, I should say, uh, at Decoding TV. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. We'll be back next week and figure out what happens in the season two finale of The White Lotus. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs>